Amen. All right. Well, we're there in Genesis chapter number two, very well-known passage uh, that I'm sure you're familiar with. And like we've announced this morning, we are continuing our series on stewardship, and we've been learning about stewardship. And for those of you that haven't been with us, we've, we've been learning is that the word stewardship basically means, it's our modern word, to manage. And we've been learning about managing God's resources for His glory. And we started off with learning about just the theology of stewardship and what the Bible teaches about stewardship. And then we, uh, the second week, we, if you remember, we learned about the unjust steward and learned all sorts of great things about stewardship from that parable. And lately, we've been just talking about different areas, very practical sermons on things to steward. We talked about the stewardship of time. We talked about the stewardship of health. And this morning, we are speaking on the subject of the stewardship of relationships, the stewardship of relationships. And we're going to start there in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go to a lot of different passages this morning, so I want you to be ready to flip uh, through the Bible, flip the pages with me. But in Genesis 2, I'd like you to notice that we, we learn about the creation of man, and you need to understand that you and I were created to be creatures of relationship. We were created to be creatures of relationship. In Genesis 2, if you look at verse number 7, the Bible says this, And the Lord God formed man. And by the way, God formed man. Man did not evolve. We were created by God. We were not just an accident, uh, you know, that happened to come uh, upon, you know, earth. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now skip down to verse number 18 of the same chapter there. Notice what the Bible says. And the Lord God said... It is not good that man should be alone. Now, usually when we deal with these, uh, with this passage, we're talking about marriage, and marriage, of course, applies. But I want you to notice that the statement there is just that it's not good that man should be alone. Uh, in, in general, God created us to be in relationships. God created us to be creatures of community. And God said it's not good that a man should be alone. And what's interesting about this passage is that as you study the creation event, every day that God creates something, He ends uh, that day by saying it was very good and it was very good and it was very good. And then we get to Genesis 2.18 and we find the first thing that God says is not good. He says it's not good that man should be alone. And he says, I will make him and help me for him. Notice verse 19. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowls of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found, notice, and help me for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And I just want you to notice there that when God looked down at man alone, he says it's not good for man to be alone. And, and, and like I said, we apply that to marriage, but just in general, you know, it's not good for men, women, people, humans to live their lives alone. We were created to live within relationships. We were created to live within community. You're there in Genesis 2. Flip over to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Notice verse number 8. And the primary relationship that God created us for was a relationship with Him. 
God wants us to be saved, and being saved does not, does not come through a relationship. Being saved comes through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, to, through trusting Him to save you. But you know, one of the reasons that God wants to save you is so that then He can establish a relationship with you. He wants to be your Heavenly Father. He wants you to be His son or His daughter. Look at verse 8 there, Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. And of course, I'm not taking time to develop this. You should read this on your own. But he hid himself because of the fact that they'd sinned. And here's what you need to understand. Sin destroys relationships. Whether it's God or marriage, whether it's God or children, whether it's God or friendships, it is often sin that destroys relationships. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God had a, a, a relationship with them where He would come down and walk with them in that Garden of Eden and spend time with them. Why? Because He created them for relationship. But, he, but sin uh, caused that relationship to be destroyed. And Adam and his wife hid themselves, notice, from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. I just want you to focus and understand that God created us for relationships. And by the way, that's why God has created institutions that are all centered around the idea of fellowship, of community, of relationship. Here we read that God instituted a family. Why? God instituted a family because it's not good for man to be alone. Later on in Genesis, we learn that God instituted government and He instituted uh, nations. Why? Because it's not good that man should be alone. In the New Testament, we learn that God instituted the local New Testament church. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. See, you and I were created for relationship, and sin causes any type of relationship to break down, whether it's a relationship with God. But I want you to understand, I'm not necessarily just preaching about any specific relationship this morning. I'm not talking specifically about marriage. Now, on Wednesday night, I am going to be talking about marriage, and if you're married, I'd encourage you to be here on Wednesday night. We're going to be learning about marriage. It's Valentine's Day and all of that. But this morning, we're talking about relationships in general. Yes, it could be the husband-wife relationship, but the things we're going to talk about today could also be applied to a parent-child relationship. Or how about the in-laws relationship? Maybe as a mother-in-law, or as a father-in-law, or as a brother-in-law, or as a sister-in-law. Or it could just be applied to the relationships of friendship, or Maybe the relationships that we hold uh, as church members and as fellow church members. Or how about the relationships that you have with co-workers or with uh, employees that you work with. We're talking about the relationships of life in general. Now, go, go to the book of Luke just real quickly in the New Testament. You've got the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke chapter number 12. And while you go there, let me say this. Someone, someone said this. The joy of life and the wealth of life is found in the relationships of life. The joy of life and the wealth of life is found in the relationships of life. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, and I don't want to get into the context of this story. We'll preach on that another day. But in Luke 12, 15, you've got two brothers that are fighting about money. They're fighting about an inheritance. And they come to Jesus and they want Jesus to kind of judge between them on this idea of money. And I want you to notice what Jesus says to them in Luke 12, 15. The Bible says, and he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking to these brothers that are talking about money. He says, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life. Notice what he said, for a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. 
Life is more than things we possess. It's about more than the abundance of the materials that we own. You say, why? Because the joy of life, the joy of life, and the wealth of life, the true riches of life, are not found in the things that we possess, but they are found in the relationships that we hold. So this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject about how to have good relationships, whether it's your marriage relationship, whether it's with your children or your grandchildren, whether it's with friendships, how to have good relationships, because here's what you need to understand. And we must purpose to steward good relationships. We must purpose to manage good relationships. You say, why? Because there is found the wealth and the joy of life. And I want to give you this morning six statements. I'd like you to write them down if you're able to. I understand if you've got a baby on your lap and you can't do that. I understand that. On the back of your chorus of the week, uh, the insert in your bulletin, there's a place for you to take notes. I'd like you to write these statements down. Go with me to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter number one, towards the, uh, in the New Testament. We were just in Genesis. If you go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, all right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Ruth chapter number one. And while you turn there, let me give you point number one this morning. The first statement I'd like you to understand when it comes to the stewardship of relationships, stewarding our relationships for the glory of God. Number one this morning, don't take relationships for granted. Don't take relationships for granted. I want you to, I want to illustrate this through the life of a lady in Ruth chapter one by the name of Naomi. And I want you to understand something about Naomi. Naomi in the story, we're going to learn that she lost, for those of you that aren't familiar with the story, I know many of you are, Naomi lost her husband and her two sons. Are you there in Ruth chapter one? Look down at verse number one. Notice what the Bible says. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So the story takes place during the book of Judges, it's not in the book of Judges, but it's during that uh, timeline in the nation of Israel, in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Notice what it says. He and his wife and his two sons. Now, he went to sojourn in Moab. And I'm, I'm not preaching on the subject of Ruth this morning, and, and there's a lot of spiritual truth there. Let me just say this. He goes to a heathen land. He leaves the place where God is, you know, the, where the people of God are where, in Bethlehem, and he goes to the heathen in Moab for one reason, the Bible tells us, because there was a famine in the land. And let me just say this. You ought never make important decisions based solely on money. If when you make decisions to move your family, to make big, you know, to do great things that are going to impact your life in your family. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take money into consideration, but when your sole objective, when your sole reason for making a big major decision in your life is money, I'm here to tell you, you're making the wrong decision. And you find that all throughout the Bible. You find that in Scripture, you know, and this is just one example of that. This family moves uh, across the country to... To, for a job. And it's funny how our world, to, to the world, this is totally acceptable, right? We have several families in our church that move across the country for the things of God, and most people are like, you're crazy. But you know, if you do it for money, then it's fine. 
You know, it just shows you the God that we serve in this world. But here, this man moves because there's a famine. Verse 2, and the name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech is dad, all right? And the name of his wife, Naomi, that's mom. And the name of his two sons, Malon, that's son number one, and Chilion, that's son number two, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Look verse 3. And Elimelech, that's dad, Naomi's husband, died. And she, that's mom, notice, was left. She was left behind. He died, but she's still there, and her two sons. But skip down to verse number 5, just real quickly. Notice what the Bible says. We'll come back to verse 4 in a second. Verse 5, And Malon, that's son number 1, and Chilion, that's son number 2, died also, both of them. And the woman, notice the wording that's used here, was left. And the woman was left. She was left behind of her two sons and her husband. I want you to notice that she lost her husband. And she lost her two sons. And the Bible here is emphasizing and using the fact that she was left. She was left behind. She was left alone. And when you talk to Naomi, that's the type of wording she uses. But I want you to notice verse number 4. We skipped verse 4, but let's look at it together. And they, now the they there is the sons took them wives, those would be the daughter-in-laws, of the women of Moab. They married Moabites. You know, they didn't marry uh, you know, young ladies of the children of God. They married these heathen girls. And look, when you allow your family to be raised around the heathen, don't be surprised when they marry the heathen. All right? You need to have your family around the people of God. But these young men, they married these women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah. And the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. So they're out in Moab for about 10 years. These two young men marry these two Moabite women. Husband dies. Dad dies. The two boys die. And Naomi, the mother, is left alone. Look at verse 19. Now in verse 19, and we're skipping a lot of the story. There's a lot there to go over. We're not going to do that this morning. But now she's headed back to where she should have never left, Bethlehem, Judah. And in verse 19, I want you to notice what the Bible says. So they too. Now, the two there is talking about Naomi and Ruth. Because Ruth goes back with her. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. But they too, Naomi and Ruth, went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, the whole city sees Naomi coming back. And notice what they said. They said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And that's what the word Mara means. It means bitterly. And she said, it means bitter. And she says, don't call me Naomi. She says, call me Mara because the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. And by the way, let me say this. Naomi's wrong in that statement. You know what? God is good all the time. And we're going to actually see at the end of the story how God was good to her. And God did. But she's going through a time now, and I'm not picking on her. I mean, she lost her husband. She lost her children. She's mourning, but she's coming back, and she's saying, the Lord had dealt my, uh, 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 bitterly with me. In another place, she talks about how the Lord's hand came out against her, you know. And verse 21, notice what she says. Notice what she says. I went out full. What is she referring to? She's saying, I left. She said, I left the will of God full. I left. And here's what she's referring to. I left with a husband and two sons. And the Lord hath brought me home again empty. She's saying, I left full 
and now I'm left alone. She said, I'm, I left full, and now I'm coming back empty. But here's a question I have for Naomi. Is that a true statement? She said, I'm coming home empty, but did you notice in verse 19 that the Bible says, so they too? Here's a question I have for Naomi. What about Ruth? I mean, is the girl just chopped liver? I mean, you know, you're coming back with this young lady, Ruth, and you're sitting there. She's helping you along the way, and you're saying, I came back alone. I came back empty. She says, why then call, call ye me now Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. And here's what I need you to understand. Naomi lost her husband and her two sons, and we're not picking on Naomi for that. I can only imagine what it would feel like to lose a spouse that you love and to lose children that you love. But here's what you need to understand. Naomi did still have have two daughters-in-law. But here's, here, and you say, well, what's the point? What are you trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say. Naomi is not considering her relationships with her daughter-in-law. She's only her loss, but she's not acknowledging who she's left with. And here's what you need to understand. When it comes to our relationships, when we lack the consideration of relationships, when we do not consider the relationships that God has placed in our lives, we tend to take them for granted. We tend to be unappreciative of them. And we see this in the story. Go back to verse number 6, Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. Notice what, notice what the Bible tells us there. And she, that's Naomi, arose, notice, notice the wording, with, with, in relationship with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from that country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law, notice, with her. She wasn't coming back empty. She was coming back with two daughters-in-law. Now look, please understand. I understand. Her daughters-in-law don't replace her sons. They don't replace her husband, but she's not alone. And they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. But notice, she's not acknowledging her daughters-in-law. She's not, she's taking them for granted and therefore not appreciating them. Verse 8, and Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, notice what she says, go. Now wait a minute, Naomi. When you just lost your husband and when you just lost your sons, why would you have, you have these two young ladies that want to minister to you, that want to be with you, that are your family now, and you're saying go? But you know, when we take relationships for granted and we don't appreciate them, you know what we often do? We send them away. We say, go, return each to her mother's house, that the Lord deal kindly with you as he have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you, and, and, you know, and there's so much here and I don't have time to develop, but it's like, I thought, I thought the Lord didn't deal kindly with you. I mean, what exactly are you saying here? Notice verse 9, And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of, your, uh, of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said unto her, Surely, notice what they said, they said, Surely we, the two daughters, we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Now look at that question. He said, why will you go with me? Here's what he's saying. Why would you go with me to Bethlehem? Why would you go with me to the house of God? Why would you go with me to God's people? Why would you leave these heathen and go with me? I don't know, Naomi. Maybe because of God? 
I mean, don't you think it'd probably be a good idea when God has revealed Himself in this time to the children of Israel, when His people are all assembled in one place, when His Word is in one place, that you'd bring your daughters-in-law with you? But she said, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? And notice how the focus is all on her. I lost my boys. And look, I'm not, we're, not, we're not beating up on her for that. But all we're, we're just highlighting the fact that often, often, we take for granted the relationships that we have left. Look at verse 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold. So Orpah leaves. Ruth stays. Naomi says, Behold, thy sister-in-law, talking about Orpah, is gone back unto her people. And don't miss this. This shows you the state of Naomi unto her people and unto her lowercase g gods. Is that a good thing? You know what Naomi is saying? Naomi is saying, I don't care if you die and go to hell. Just go back home. Just go back to your idols. Just go back to your heathen. And then she says, she says, Orpah already did it. She says to Ruth, return thou, Ruth, return thou after thy sister-in-law. Verse 16, and Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee, or return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Notice what Ruth says, and this is what makes Ruth so famous and such a virtuous woman, as the Bible calls her. Thy people shall be my people. Notice what she says. Thy and thy lower, or not lowercase, uppercase G, God, my God. Now is that good? I think that's good. And here's all I'm trying to tell you. We have a woman who lost her husband. We have a woman who lost her children, who lost her sons. But she still has, she still has relationships that God has given her, but she's taking them for granted. She's taking Ruth for granted. She's coming back with Ruth. She's got Ruth with her and she's saying, I'm all alone. I'm all by myself. I went out full but now I'm empty. And I just want you to understand, and, and, and Ruth, this is such a wonderful story. We should, you know, preach through the whole book of Ruth. And I've actually have preached through the whole book of Ruth, and we, a lot of sermons have been preached. But I want you to go to Ruth chapter 4. And I just want you to notice how the story ends. Because here's what you need to understand. Sometimes what I've noticed, what I've noticed is that sometimes people want to focus on the relationships they don't have. Sometimes people want to notice, focus on the relationships they don't have to the neglect of the relationships that they do have. Sometimes people want to focus on the relationships that they don't have to the neglect of the relationships that they do have. And you've got singles walking around and they're all sad and mad and I'm not married and I'm never going to get married and it's never going to happen. Listen to me. You know what? Just work on yourself and work on being the lady, the young lady and the young man that God has called you to be and when it's God's will, God will bring to you and God will make sure you meet that person that you're supposed to marry. Look, we understand that but singles will often say, I'm not married, I'm not married, I'm not married and you know what you often find singles doing? You see them getting backslidden, you see them getting away from the things of God. Why? Because they're so focused on a relationship they don't have, they neglect the friendships and the people around them that do love them and the relationships they do have. I see young married couples. We don't have children. We don't have children. We don't have children. And you know what? God will one day give you children, Lord willing. Pray and he will bless you with it. But you know what? While you're sitting there without children, don't neglect the relationships you do have. The husband you do have. 
The wife you do have. I'm not telling Naomi that these two daughter-in-laws are going to replace her sons or her, or, or her husband. But here's all I'm saying is while she's mourning her husband, while she's mourning her sons, don't neglect. Don't take for granted the relationships you do have. Because you may be surprised that God may know what he's doing. And God may know better. Look, are you there in Ruth chapter 4? Look at verse 13. So Boaz... And I don't have time to develop this. Boaz is another character in the story. Notice what it says. Boaz is a good man. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. She gets married. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, and here's what we didn't cover. In between, the cha- in between chapter 1 and chapter 4, we see Ruth and Naomi develop a strong relationship. And Naomi doesn't stay in that state of backsliding and in a state of... She, she develops a good relationship with her daughter-in-law. And notice what it says. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which... Notice, notice where the emphasis is. Which hath not left thee. And she's saying, I'm all alone. I've been left. I've been left. And God never left you, Naomi which have not left thee this day without a kinsman that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. Don't miss this, don't miss this. For thy daughter-in-law, that relationship you were taking for granted, that relationship you were not appreciating, that relationship you were uh, uh, neglecting, that relationship that you were uh, not even acknowledging. Notice what it says. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons. Did you just catch that? Say, I lost my two sons. But you've got a daughter here who the Bible will go on to say is better to you than seven sons. But you're taking her for granted. But you're not acknowledging her. But you're not appreciating her. Which is better to thee than seven sons that born him. And Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became nurse unto him. And the woman, her neighbor, gave him gave it a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. You say, who's Obed? Well, notice what it says. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Pharaoh. Pharaoh begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Abinadab, and Abinadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, And when you get into the New Testament, you find out that David begat and begat and begat and begat the Lord Jesus Christ. And Naomi goes into history and the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ because of a relationship with a young lady that she was taking for granted. Look, I'm not trying to, look, some of you have lost family and I'm not trying to beat you up. I understand how hard that is. But when you're grieving the loss of certain relationships, just please don't close your eyes to the other relationships that God has brought into your life. And you say, yeah, but they could never replace. Yeah, Ruth could never replace her sons. We don't replace relationships. We miss relationships, and we acknowledge relationships, and we mourn relationships. But we look at those relationships that God has brought into our lives, and we don't take them for granted. So here's, here's point number one. Go, 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 go to the book of Proverbs. 
Proverbs chapter 27. You're there right in the center of the Bible. Uh, if you open up the Bible in the center, you'll, you'll find the book of Psalms. Uh, right after Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 27. Proverbs 27. Here's all I'm trying to say. Here's all I'm trying to say. Look, we, look, we can't replace. Some of you have lost family. Some of you have lived, physically lost family. They've gone on to be with the Lord. Some of you have had family turn their backs on you. You've lost families because of certain stands you take, because of the Bible, because of the Word of God. And here's all I'm saying. This church can't replace your family. We can't replace your family. But don't take us for granted. God has placed us in your life. God has had our uh, paths cross for a reason. And when it comes to the stewardship of relationships, we must first understand that we cannot take any relationship that God has allowed us to have for granted. Are you there in Proverbs 27? Look at verse 10. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of calamity. We'll talk about that in a second. But I want you to notice a lot part of verse 10. For better is a neighbor that is near than a brother afar off. And some of you are so concerned with your brother that's far off, you're despising the neighbor that is near. And here's all I'm saying. When it comes to the stewardship of relationships, when it comes to the stewardship of relationships, step one is don't take relationships for granted. Don't take relationships for granted. Now, you're there in Proverbs 27. Go flip a few pages back to Proverbs 24. Let me give you point number two. Point number one is probably the longest of the points, so we'll move fairly quickly through the rest of these. Don't worry. Point number one, don't take relationships for granted. Point number two, don't neglect relationships. Don't neglect relationships. And here's what you need to understand. Usually when we take relationships for granted, we, be, we, then, we then, the next step is to neglect those relationships because we don't appreciate them, because we don't see the value in them. So we must first not take relationships for granted. We must look at the people that God has put around us and realize that they are in our life for a reason. But then secondly, we must not neglect those relationships. Now in Proverbs 24, we have a very famous verse and it has nothing to do with relationships, but there's a principle found here and I want you to notice it. Proverbs 24 and verse 30 says this, I went by the field of the slothful. Now this passage has, prim- the primary application is, you know, the Bible preaching against laziness. And we should preach against laziness. I'm not preaching on laziness uh, this morning, but, you know, let it impact you if you're lazy, all right? I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. You say, what is the Bible teaching here? Here's what the Bible is teaching. And, and here's what you need to understand, and, and let me put it this way. In science, there's the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics are called the law of entropy. It dictates that energy and matter are in a constant state of decay. Energy and matter, everything, is in a constant state of decay. And by the way, that's a scientific rule that disproves evolution. We're not getting better, we're getting worse. Things are not getting better, they are... Here's what what the second law of thermodynamics teaches. When anything is left to itself, it decays. When anything is left to itself, it gets worse. We are in a constant state of decay. And that applies to everything. It applies to a house. It applies to a car. That's what he's saying. He said, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered to the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. You say, Pastor Jimenez, how can I tell if I'm lazy? Look at your backyard. How can I tell if I'm lazy? Look at your house. Is it a mess? You're lazy. Why? Because everything's in a constant state of decay. 
We must invest time and energy into things to keep them up, to keep them going. And relationships are the same way. When relationships are neglected, they will decay. Everything is in a constant state of decay. And relationships require work. Relations of required time. Notice verse 32. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. That's neglect. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Keep your place there in Proverbs. We're going to come back to it. Go with me to the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 10. If you start at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and you head back, you got Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews, all right? Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. If you start at the end and head backwards, James and Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 10. Here's what you need to understand. Relationships require time and energy. Don't neglect relationships. They will decay. Don't neglect relationships. They will break down. Don't neglect relationships. They need work. They need energy. They need time. Like your house does, like your car does, like your clothes do, like anything you can think of does, so do your relationships. Hebrews 10 and verse 24, notice what the Bible says. Hebrews 10, 24. Notice what the Bible says. It says, and let us consider one another. That's what Naomi was failing to do with Ruth. We're talking here about relationships. He says, let us consider, let us think about, let us acknowledge one another. Why? To provoke unto love and to good works. And then notice what he says in verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now we often preach that verse in regards to not skipping out on church and church attendance. And that is what the verse is about. This verse is talking about, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Don't skip out on church, as the manner of some is. That's some of you. Some of you have the manner and the habit and the, uh, of skipping out on church. But you know what? God says, don't do it. God says, be faithful. Be in church. You know what? You ought to be... When I was growing up, you know, in, 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 in fundamentalism, I think it was Lee Roberson who made the phrase Bible, but something I, I heard my whole life growing up was, three to thrive, three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And you know what? I want to encourage you, three to thrive. Be here Sunday morning and be here Sunday night and be here Wednesday night. Why? Because let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good work, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is he saying? Here's what he's saying. Relationships require time. So don't skip out on church. Invest that time into relationships. Some people come to me and they're like, I don't know about this church. I don't have any friends. And I'm like, well, you know, if you showed up more than once every six weeks, you, know, you, you come once every three weeks, and, and then you're like, Pastor, no, nobody develops, uh, has a relationship with me. Or you, you need to make people be my friend. I can't make people be your friend. You know, one of our goals at Verity Baptist Church, here's one of our goals, to facilitate fellowship. But we can't force fellowship. We, we, we do everything we can. You go in my office, we've got core you know, mission statement and core goals on the wall there, and one of our goals is to facilitate fellowship. That's why we make, do events like the Married Couple Sweetheart Banquet on Friday night. We had 40 couples here and a bunch of teenagers and, and singles you know, that were helping and, and, and cooking, and Brother Vincent was cooking. And you know what? We had a great time. We had a, a good time, and, and we laughed, and we joked, and we fellowshiped. But you know what? We can facilitate fellowship, but we can't force you to show up. You say, well, I want friends, and show up. 
I, I want relationships and I want people to help me. Then get involved. Then become a part. Then get, don't forsake the assembling. What? Because you can't neglect relationships. When you neglect them, they will decay. Relationships require work. And relationships require time. And relationships require energy. Go back to, go, keep, keep your place there in Hebrews. Put your place, you put, put a ribbon or a bookmark there in Hebrews and, and go back to Proverbs. Now, keep your place in Proverbs also. So you, have, you should have your place in Proverbs and in Hebrews. Go back to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. And let me give you point number three this morning. Number one, we said don't take relationships for granted. Don't take relationships for granted. Number two, we said don't neglect relationships. They require work. Number three, don't give up on relationships. Don't give up on relationships. We already saw this verse, but let's look at it together. Proverbs 27 and verse 10. Remember we saw the, the second part of the verse? For better is a neighbor that is near than a brother that is afar off. But notice the first part of verse 10. Thine own friend and thy father's friend, notice these words, forsake not. Forsake not. You know, loyalty is a big part of relationships. And we need to learn when it comes to relationships to not give up on relationships. Thine own friend and thy, father, and thy father's friend forsake not. Go to Proverbs 17. You're there in 27? Go just back 10 chapters. Proverbs 17. Look at verse 17. Proverbs 17 and verse 17. Proverbs 17 and verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. A friend loveth when things are going well. Is that what it says? A friend loveth when you've got money and the party's on. Is that what it says? No, you know what? A friend loveth at all times. When things are going good and when things are going bad. A, a real friend is not a fair weather friend. A real friend is there for you when things are going well and when things are not going well. A friend, that ha- a friend loveth at all times. And you know what I've learned? Here's what I've learned. Is that people give up on relationships way too easily. I mean, marriages, they, they fall apart in the, as, as quickly as they come together. Don't give up on relationships. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your grandkids. Don't, don't give up on friendships. Don't, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've learned in life that one of the number one reasons that people quit church is because there's a break in a relationship. They got, you know, they got mad at somebody. I'm, I'm not even saying me. They got mad at somebody else in church, and it's like, oh, i got to go to another church. Why, why do you quit on relationships so fast? Look, it's easy. You know what? It's easier to quit on things than to work on them. Whatever it is, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a car, it's easier to just go buy a new one than fix the old one. It's easier to give up and quit, but you know what? Do it on a car, do it on whatever, but don't do it with relationships. Number three, don't give up on relationships. A friend loveth at all times. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. You know, just make a rule in your life and make a rule in your heart that when I decide to be somebody's friend or when I develop a friendship or a relationship, and this is what I often tell people, and sometimes when I, I'm dealing with issues with people and I'm trying to help them and I'm counseling and we're going through some hard things either with our church or with other people in church, I often say this to people. I may have said it to some of you, and if I have, I'm not thinking about you specifically. I've said it to hundreds of people. But here's what I often say to people. I'll say, you know what? If this relationship ever ends, it'll be because you walked away from it, not me. I'm not walking away from our relationship. And there are many people, I can give you a list of people who our relationship has ended, not because I walked away from it, but because they did. 
And I'm not telling you I'm perfect. I'm just telling you in my life and in your life, we need to learn to not give up on relationships. And you know what you should say to your husband that you're having issues with? You know what you should say to your wife that you're having issues with? You know what you should say to your son that you're having issues with? You know what you should say to your daughter that you're having issues with? You know what you should say to your fellow friend or your church member that you were friends with last week but you're not friends with now? You know what you should say? You should walk up to them and say, if this relationship ends, it'll be because you walked away from it, not me. I'm committed to it. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to this relationship. So number one, don't take relationships for granted. And number two, don't neglect relationships. And number three, don't give up on relationships. Number four, don't hold a grudge. Don't hold a grudge in relationships. You're there in Proverbs. Keep your place there. Go with me to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. We got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. First, second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. First, second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. We... we we're on point number four, right? We're, get, we're, gonna, we're not going to be too long. We'll be done here soon. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 2. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Let me say this. Sin in relationships needs to be dealt with. Sin in marriage needs to be dealt with. Sin with children needs to be dealt with. Sin amongst church people needs to be dealt with. The Bible talks a lot about that. You know, God gives us instructions about if a brother offends you, how you should deal with them and how you should go. I've preached a lot on that. I'm not preaching on that this morning. Here's what I want you to understand. What I'm about to say does, is not meaning that we don't deal with sin. Sin in relationships needs to be dealt with. And sometimes we have to have those strong talks. And sometimes we have to have that confrontation. And sometimes we have to say, no, that's wrong. No, that's not okay. No, there's a problem here. Sin in relationships needs to be dealt with. I believe that. The Bible teaches that. Amen and amen. But let me say this. Once it's dealt with, let it go. Once it's dealt with, let it go. Because you know what people often want to do is they want to hold grudges. They want to hold, and, and you've already dealt with it, and you've already been confronted with it, you've already apologized, you've already done, you know, whatever, and, and you, you, but they won't, they'll keep holding it over your head. They don't want to let you move on. You know, it takes, it takes quite, it takes a very spiritual wife to forgive and move on. It takes a very spiritual husband to forgive and to move on. I'm not talking about forgiving when there's still sin in the camp. I'm saying once it's been dealt with, once it's been dealt with, Forgive and let go. Ephesians 4, look at verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness. Notice what he says. With long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring. The word endeavoring means to try hard to achieve, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Look at verse 32, same chapter. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And look, I understand forgiveness is hard. And, forget, and I'm not here to tell you it's easy, just forgive and forget and no big deal. It's hard. But you know what? Something that God tells us in regards to forgiveness is this. If you're struggling with forgiving someone, consider this, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And we always want mercy and forgiveness when it's us who've done the wrong. But then we often want to withhold it from those that have also done wrong. You know what? God forgave me. In the same way that God forgave me, I should be willing to forgive others. He said, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Go to 1 Peter chapter number 4. Now, if you kept your place in Hebrews, did you keep your place in Hebrews? From Hebrews, go to James and then 1 Peter. If you kept your place in Hebrews, James and 1 Peter. 
James and 1 Peter. Look, don't hold a grudge. And I'm not just talking about marriage. It applies in marriage. But I'm talking about all relationships, friendships within church members. You know, a reason that we don't, in our home, we follow the biblical principle of disciplining your children through, you know, what we call today spanking your children. You know, you say, you say oh, I can't believe, you know, we don't ground our children. You're, some of you are like, you're grounded for the next six months. Man, I am glad that God doesn't do that to us. When we sin, I'm going to hold this over your head for the next six months. I'm going to be mad about it. No, you know what? God just spanks us and then goes on with life. You know, I like just disciplining our children, dealing with it, and then we move on. You know, and in, in relationships, it needs to be that way. Don't hold a grudge. Now, if you're holding a grudge and you got bitterness, it has not yet been dealt with. Deal with it. And by the way, sometimes we hold grudges because we don't deal with it. Because we don't want to have that talk. Because we don't want to, you know, deal with the sin. Are you there in First Peter? I'm sorry. You're, you're, First Peter, right? First Peter 4.8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity, 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Go, go to Proverbs chapter 17. If you get your place there in Proverbs. Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. Proverbs 17 and verse 9, the Bible says, He that covereth the transgression seeketh love. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. You say, what is that verse talking about? It's not talking about hiding sin. It's not talking about, oh, we found out about someone, you know, committing adultery or someone, you know, stealing money and we're going to sweep it under the rug. We're not talking about that. Sin needs to be dealt with. You understand what I just said? Sin needs to be dealt with. He that covers the transgression seeketh love. It's not talking about hiding sin and, and you know, uh, this guy did something bad at this church, so we're going to move him to the... No, we got to... That needs to be brought out to light. Those things need to be dealt with. And sin needs to be dealt with. But this verse is talking about when it's been dealt with, when it's been forgiven, when it's been done. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. And listen, ladies, you're not doing your marriage any favors when you're going around and talking about, well, you know, my husband seven years ago. And I'm not minimizing. There's big events and big issues and big things. Well, my wife 12 years ago. Well, look, have you dealt with it? Oh, we dealt with it. Then cover that sin and move on. Is that not what the Bible says? He that covers the transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. Sin needs to be dealt with. But let me tell you something. Once it's dealt with, let it go. In relationships, don't hold grudges. In relationships, don't hold grudges. And if you're walking up to somebody and saying, you know, seven years ago, you did this to me and I've been holding, you need to get over that. That is ridiculous. If it wasn't a big enough deal to deal with it right then and there, then you know what? Let it go. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to relationships, we must not hold grudges. Don't hold grudges in relationships. Number five, go to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. I said, number one, don't take relationships for granted. Number two, don't neglect relationships. Number three, don't give up on relationships. Number four, don't hold grudges in relationships. Number five. Don't allow gossip or criticism to influence your relationships. Don't allow gossip or criticism to influence your relationships. Proverbs 16 and verse 28. 
Proverbs 16 and verse 28 says this, A forward man soweth strife. Notice what it says. And a whisperer... You say, what's a whisper? A whisper means that you're going to say something, but you don't want everybody else to hear it. Look, when, when, let me just explain something to you. When you're hiding something, you're wrong. If you're hiding it, it's probably bad. If you're hiding it, no, don't, don't let Pastor know. Don't, don't let Miss Joanne know. You know we're, we're doing this, but make sure nobody knows. Look, if you're doing, you know, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I don't, I don't got to hide it. You know I don't got to hide anywhere I go, anything I do, any, anything I do. I don't got to hide it. I got to hide it if it's wrong. I got to hide it if, it if it's something I'm ashamed of, it's something I'm embarrassed about. A whisperer separateth chief friends. Go to Proverbs 26, verse 20. Proverbs 26, verse 20. Proverbs 26, don't allow gossip or criticism to influence relationships. Proverbs 26 and verse 20, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So, that's an illustration, so where there is no tailbearer, the strife ceaseth. When there's no tailbearer, when there's no gossip, when there's no criticism, the strife ceaseth. And let me say something to you. You know, in, in my own life, I've literally had... And I, not, any, not anybody here that, that I know of, I, I can, as far as I can remember. I've literally had people walk up to me and say something to me about me or my wife. And they're like, so-and-so told me three years ago that you, and they'll go into something. And I'm like, oh, really? Did they tell you X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, oh, no, they left that part out. And let me explain something to you. There's always two sides to the story. Oh, did, did, they, tell you the, did they tell you this part? Oh, no, they didn't say that. That kind of puts it more into context. Man, I, I've been holding that against you for three years. And I'm like, really? Wow, yeah, I, and here's the thing. Usually it's like, yeah, I notice. I, I notice that there's some distance between us. I, I, I noticed that there was an issue between us. I, I didn't know what it was. And listen to me, when it comes to, you say, well, well when somebody comes to me with, with an allegation, you know, here's how, you, you want to know if something's true? Somebody walks up to you and says, you know, Mr. Joanne, you know, Pastor Jimenez, you know what you should do? You say, hey, let's go to Pastor Jimenez. Let's talk about it. Oh, no, 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 I don't want to talk to him about it. Let's go to Miss Joanne. You know, that other church member, he one time, oh, well, let's go to them. You know, the Bible says that you should bring a witness and go talk to them. No, no, I don't want to do that. Then shut your mouth. No, I don't want to bring it up. Then get over it and move on. But if you're going to sit there and gossip and criticize, and you know what they did, and you know what they, you know, I, you should, you, here's what you should ask. Well, what's the other part of the story? I'm getting your part, and here's the truth. There's his part, there's her part, and somewhere in the middle, there's the truth. There's my part, and then there's part, and then somewhere in the middle, there's the truth. That's how it goes. So you know what? If you're not going to go to someone with an issue, if you're not going to go to someone with a problem, if you're not going to be spiritually mature and go to them and say, you've offended me, and here's the reason, and here's what you did, and I want to deal with it, and do that in love, and do that in maturity, if you're not going to do that, then shut your mouth! Don't wait to initiate, don't, don't allow criticism to influence, and don't allow gossip to influence your relationships. And let me just say this, you're there in Proverbs, go to Psalm 101 and verse 5. Psalm 101 and verse 5. You're there in Proverbs, just one, one book forward. Psalm 101 and verse 5. Psalm 101 and verse 5. 
Psalm 101 and verse 5. Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Psalm 101 and verse 5. Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high, an, an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. And let me just explain something to you. And Some of you need to write this down or memorize it or whatever. But when somebody gossips to you about someone, they will gossip about you to someone. Oh, well, you know, she's my best friend and she tells me everything. If she's gossiping to you about someone, she will gossip about you. <coughs> To someone. Oh, no, no, we're just as close. No, you're not. Well, he said this, and he's my best friend. And he, if somebody gossips to you, if somebody gossips to you about someone, they will gossip to you. They will gossip about you. To someone. You reap what you sow. Just realize that. Just realize that. When somebody comes to you and they're gossiping, they're, and they're bringing these accusations, like, I know this, and I know that. Where's the proof? I don't got any, but I just know. Man, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be anywhere near you. When it comes to relationships, number one, go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're almost done. Matthew, this is the last one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 5. Keep your place in Proverbs. Keep your place in Proverbs. Romans chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Number one, don't take relationships for granted. Number two, don't neglect relationships. Number three, don't give up on relationships. Number four, don't hold a grudge in relationships. Deal with sin. And when it's dealt with, let it go. Number five, don't allow gossip or criticism to influence your relationships. Number six, here's the last one. Number six, don't wait, don't wait to initiate the reconciling of a relationship. Don't wait to initiate reconciliation in relationships. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says about God. But God commendeth his love toward us. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you thankful that God did not wait to reconcile the relationship with us? God didn't say, well, I'm going to wait to see when they come to me. Because you know what? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that understandeth. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. And God took the first step and reconciling his relationship with us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're there in Romans. Go to 2 Corinthians. You got 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5. We got to do it fast because we're running out of time. 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. You know, God did not wait to initiate the reconciling of relationships. He took the initiative. He took the first step. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not infusing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be you reconciled to God. You know what we're doing when we go out and knock on a door, and you say, you don't know those people, you don't know any, you know, you go out in the communities, you go, you know, cold doors, knocking doors, people you don't know, and we knock on the door, and we tell people, if we could show you how you could know for sure 
you're on your way to heaven, if we could show you how you could be forgiven, if we could show you how we could reconcile you to God, if we could show you what you allow us, you say, why do we do that? We do it in Christ's stead. We do it as ambassadors for God, as ambassadors for Christ. Why? Because God desires to take the first step and reconcile relationships with sinners. So he sends us. And in the same way, when it comes to our relationships, because doesn't the Bible say we love him because he first loved us? And in the same way, in the same way, if you have a broken relationship, I'm talking about a human relationship, husband, wife, parent, child, in-laws, church members, co-workers, friendships, if you have a broken relationship, you know what you should do? You should not wait to initiate reconciliation you should take the initiative and go to them and make it right and try to make it right. Now, that may mean that that you quit gossiping and you quit criticizing and you go to an individual and say, you know, there's, there's sin between us we need to deal with. Isn't that what God does? He comes to us and says, there's sin between us we need to deal with, but I want to forgive you. Some of you need to go to a spouse and say, there's sin between us. But I want to forgive you. You did me wrong. But I'm not waiting for you to reconcile this thing. I'm taking the first step. For some of you, maybe it's vice versa. You need to walk up to a spouse, or you need to walk up to a parent, or you need to walk up to a child and say, listen, I'm sorry. I sinned. I did wrong. And it hurts me that our relationship is strained and I want to reconcile this thing. All I'm saying, whatever side of the aisle you're on, when it comes to stewarding relationships, we need to learn to initiate the reconciliation process. Ephesians 4 and verse 26. Go, go back to Proverbs 18. While you turn there, let me read to you out of Ephesians. Proverbs 18 Ephesians 4.26 says this, Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Some of you have let the sun go down and down and down and down and down and down and down upon your wrath. The Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. What is he saying? He's saying, don't keep broken relationships. Make it right, make it right. I used to have a youth pastor who'd say, Get glad in the same shoes you got mad in. Before you take those shoes off to go to bed, make, make those relationships right. Hold a short account with God and shold, hold a short account with others. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Some of you, I don't have any friends. And you show up to church and you sit there. Why don't you take the initiative and go talk to somebody? Why don't you take the initiative and go and say, Hey, hi, my name is this. What's your name? I, what You say, what? You take the initiative. You take the initiative to go reconcile. You take the initiative to go and make those relationships. Right. A man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. So when it comes to this idea of stewardship, because here's what you need to understand. Life is made up of, of relationships. That's what life is. Life is relationships. When you die, when you're on your deathbed, when you're getting ready to give up the ghost, 
You're not going to be thinking about, I've said this many times, you've heard it, but you're not going to be thinking about, you're not going to be pondering upon, you're not going to be, you're not going to be telling, you know, the people at your bedside, bring me that television, you know, that big screen I bought, I just want to see it one more time before I go. <laughs> go downstairs and take a picture of my car, I just need to see it one more time. You know, bring me that Rolex, you know, I just want to look at it one last time. You know, you know what you're going to be saying? I'd like to see my daughter. I'd like to see my wife. I'd like to see my husband. I'd like to see my mom. I'd like to see my relationships. Why? Because life consists not of the things that we possess. It consists of relationships. And you know what you and I need to learn to do in our lives is to steward and to manage our relationships for the glory of God. How do we do that? Number one, don't take relations for granted. Don't take them for granted. They'll never replace the ones I've lost, but God has given those relationships to you for a reason. Appreciate them. Acknowledge them. Consider them. Don't neglect relationships. Relationships require work. They require time. They require energy. Relationships, when left to themselves, like everything else, will break down. Number three, don't give up on relationships. We quit too easily. We quit. It's, it's too easy to quit. It's too easy. I'm just going to go to another church. I'm just going to go to another marriage. I'm just going to go to another job. Don't quit on relationships. Number four, don't hold a grudge. Look, we're humans. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to sin against each other. We need to work those things out. We need to confront sin. We need to forgive. We need to work through those things. But when it's, when it's been dealt with, don't hold a grudge. Let it go. Don't allow a root of bitterness to come into your heart. Number five, don't allow gossip or criticism to influence your relationships. Again, if it needs to be dealt with, deal with it. And if it's not a big enough deal to deal with it, then let it go. And number six, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait to initiate the reconciliation in relationships. Some of you need to go home and make a phone call or send a text message or write a note. You need to drive somewhere. You need to, you need to say, I, I want to meet with you. I want to talk with you. I'm thankful that God did not wait for me to seek him, but he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these principles that we learn about relationships.